It's time to walk to the back of the stand, where the truth is really told. I'm Mark Saggers, and on the Sunday Night Club, we delve into the sports that matter, the controversial discussions that others aren't brave enough to have. But let's start tonight with Professor Bill Ribbons and Tim Stimson, both of them part of progressive rugby. Progressive rugby has been around for the last four or five years. It's a lobby group that sent an open letter to Sir Bill Bowman, the chairman of World Rugby, back in 2020. They wanted to find out exactly about brain trauma in rugby union and reducing the risk to injury, the player welfare, the concussion management, post-retirement welfare and access for all. It was a beginning of a talking point that really needs to be continued. And that's where we're at tonight. I'm delighted to say that uh, Prof Bill will be with us throughout the hour. Good evening to you, Bill. Uh, Good evening, Mark, and good evening to all your viewers. And Tim, a very good evening to you too. Thank you. Um, I'm actually going to come, Tim, if I may, to you first here as we're on the eve once more of yet another fabulous Six Nations tournament, which is still so vitally important at a time when some players have decided that um, rugby union, international rugby union, isn't for them anymore, that they've done what they've had to do in it and are now looking at other parts. And also where we are with this situation and how progressive rugby is still very much part of continuing the awareness of the problems of not just the brain injuries, but of the whole welfare situation, particularly with the expansion now of the international rugby boards, uh, competitions within international rugby. Are you worried, Tim? I am worried, yeah. And so I was inspired by doctors like Bill about four years ago to, to get involved with progressive rugby. Um, I was obviously a little bit worried about my own health, but so far so good. I've been given a clean bill of health. I've got too many friends that I know that are suffering um, from early onset dementia and, and CTE. And chatting to Bill, I felt that there was a real need for, for us to sort of raise awareness and to try to hold world rugby to account. Because if there is evidence out there and if there's, if there's a problem out there, we need to talk about it, we need to be open about it. And I think there is, and it's really important that we, we maybe my generation, we've probably taken as many blows as we're going to take. I've retired from rugby, but what about my kids? What about the next generation? If there's evidence out there that means that rugby isn't safe enough, we've got to make it safer. And that's why I joined Progressive Rugby and, you know, I'm very proud of what we've been able to do so far, but there's still a long way to go. I'm, I'm here really just to sort of orchestrate all of you experts on this bill. And I think what is important here to say about progressive rugby and um, people who want to be involved in this, you all love this great game. You don't want to get rid of it. No, that's the important thing, Mark. Everybody who's involved with uh, progressive rugby uh, love the game. Uh, Most of us have played it. Uh, Others uh, have supported it strongly. Uh, We're a very diverse group. We've got players and ex-players like Tim. We've got referees, we've got coaches, senior schools, uh, teachers, uh, doctors, um, university lecturers. Uh, But the the thing that binds us all together is that rugby 
has given us an awful lot in our lives. I I played at a junior level till I was 43, um, love the game, and I want to protect it so that the generations going forward can get the same uh, enjoyment uh, and friendships uh, that we, Tim and I, had during our careers. Tim, do you feel as well as to where we are? You, you, you said that you're worried there. Is that worry because not only of the hits that you know looking back, you and others who played alongside you and against you and, and, and what you did as schoolboys as well coming through, and of course we mustn't forget women's rugby because this is all very much part of it as well, that in the end it's we've had it in other sports where it's very easy for the those that are guardians of the sport to just say we've looked at this we've looked at that we're doing our best we're doing what we can but in the end they they aren't actually completely doing what they can they're doing what they think will fit the narrative while expanding other parts and looking at development of rugby in a way that perhaps doesn't always work I think you've got a, sometimes the conflict there between player welfare and commercial realities, haven't you? Excuse me. So, I mean, clubs and country want to play as many games as possible. Players, when we're fit and healthy, we're never going to turn a game down. And, you know, I was, I was guilty of maybe being knocked out and coming round and playing on. And I didn't, know, I didn't know any better. But I think now there's been so much evidence, certainly out of American football, back from 2011 and into our game, that it's, it's not just the big hits, you know, I've knocked out by David Campisi, which is pretty embarrassing at Twickenham. <laughs> but it's, it's the lots of sub-concussive blows that we, did, we don't know about. Mm. So in some ways, if you get knocked out and you're out for three weeks, that gives you, your brain a chance to recover. Mm. But I mean, Bill can talk far more eloquently than I can about it, but it's the, it's the accumulation of what we call a bit like brain debt. Every, every sub-concussive blow, which is a dink, it's a knock, it's a bang, which is sort of part of the rugby game. If there's too many of those, we think there's, there's no evidence to suggest that, that that causes a problem, you know, with younger players like Alex, you know, in their 40s and yeah. 50s, just with guys who are 60, 70, 80. So I, 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 what I've learned from being involved with progressive rugby, there is a causal link between too many games, too many bangs on the head and, and this sort of early onset dementia and CTE, which means we've got to reduce the number of times that a player takes a significant blow to the head or even... You get a concussive, a concussive blow from a body shot, because it's not just a direct blow to the face, but it can also be the the brain decelerating inside the skull. So we've got to be aware of how many times that um, guys are taking, and guys and girls, because I think there's more and more evidence working with them. Um, you know, Dr. Marshall Garrett up in Scotland, who really specialises in looking at the differences between the male and the female anatomy, and I think there's a, there is a significant difference being shown that maybe the female anatomy with a smaller neck and different sorts of core strength can have a, a greater impact and maybe need to have four weeks off rather than three weeks off. So, yeah, I am worried and we've got to do more to um, to reduce uh, the risks. It's not just about, as you said, not just about doing research, research, research. It's, there's enough evidence out there to suggest there's a problem. And well, what can we do about it now? And, and you've, you, you've made such a good point there. And uh, Bill, I'd like you to follow up on this here where... It could just be somebody who is playing for his old school team. It could be youngsters still at the school, uh, drafted into the old school team as they used to be. It could be top-class professionals who, not just in the matches but in training, get hits on the brain 
and that those themselves, which don't perhaps even lead at the stage to concussion, but they do with the amount of these injuries that you can get over a career. Now, as, as Tim said, and you've made that point, Mark, um, we everybody concentrates on those really serious uh, concussive episodes that we can all see on our television screens or in the stadia. Uh, what we don't know, but we have a a concern about is just these multiple uh, collisions that players will have during training, whether it's on a Tuesday night uh, at the old boys club or whether it is, um, you know, kind of uh, with, the, with his elite setups. And there is evidence, I think, as uh, Tim was alluding to, that the longer your career, whether that be once again a junior team or playing uh, at the elite level, the greater your risk and this has been shown by the uh, researchers in, in Scotland recently, uh, and this was looking at brains from people who played in the amateur era. Um, and so this is one of the reasons why, Mark, we're looking as a group very carefully at, at youth rugby, uh, boys and girls, um, because we feel, one, the longer your career, the more risk you are, and we feel strongly that it makes sense that we need to have a policy to protect the younger the younger players coming through, those still at school, uh, to make sure that they reach adult life and adult rugby with yeah. minimal minimal brain injury. Two, two, two things on that, actually, if I may, to you first, Bill, um, uh, and this is from a, a, a psychotherapist's point of view as well here, that uh, the, the maturity of a brain uh, for everything it needs uh, in, a, in a male, it takes them really part of it till the age of 25 until they understand fear and other things. Uh, and the second half is something that we learned a lot from uh, Canadian ice hockey about this as youngsters as well, concussive injury after injury um, in youngsters playing the game of ice hockey. There's th these combinations of stuff that's out there and, and really have to be looked at in detail now. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking to neurologists and uh, neuropsychologists about this, and they're all of the view that our brains do not mature fully until you're 25. Now, clearly, we're going to have a problem saying that nobody should be involved in impact rugby until they're 25. Mm. That's not going to happen. No. But, but we do need to look at that schools group and mini rugby group coming through. We feel that very strongly. And the point you make about these subconcussive episode is important and uh, now that uh, a lot of research is going into the use of gum shields and Tim might want to talk about other methods of uh, uh, measuring impacts um, what we know is is that about two-thirds of the impacts that register if you've got a, 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 a an instrumented mouthpiece in are not direct head-on-head -head contacts they are a shudder that you may take lower down in your body that actually registers um, above your neck uh, and so all of these things have to be taken into account. So, Tim, from that point of view, and we've, we've had a few texts already in about this, uh, asking about whether protective gear, as, let's say, boxers use in sparring before they get into a ring to fight, Tim, are there, are there ways that you're actively looking as ex-players to help the next generation that there could be something here that would, would help? Yeah, there are. And there are lots of factors that impact the, the amount of concussion and the severity of concussion. And they do require more research. But things like having a really good strong neck is seen as a dampener to help reduce the amount of concussive damage you get from, from a body shot. 
Um, obviously, tackle height and tackle technique, <clears throat> lowering the number of times you're exposed. But yeah, I've spent the last year, um, as part of progressive rugby, we're, we're lobbying, but I also felt frustrated. that uh, What else can we do right now? And I was able to luckily find this business called Headcase, who make the world's safest cycle helmet. And I asked this lad, George Fox, could you apply your special foam to make a scrum cap? And that's what we've done. And we're working hard with World Rugby to get permission to allow that to be worn for matches. Because I think in a way, in in the past, World Rugby said, we don't want to weaponize the head. It's important that we don't go around a bit like gridiron or American football, wearing great big padding and causing damage and, and potentially risking what they call the Superman syndrome, people feeling they're invincible, which means that headguards up to now have not really been protected, but there is technology and the the, the, the foam that we're using in this material uh, will will mitigate 85% of the linear force before it reaches the head. So as Bill has said, you can't get rid of all concussions because, you know, he said 75% of those reactions to gum shields are coming from the body. Mm. What- if you can get rid of the damage that's caused by a head on head or a head on knee, or a head hitting the ground because you can wear a scrum cap or a head guard. I think it's it's a brilliant advance and it will reduce the debt reaching the brain. And and one more with with you on this. Did you find when you were playing at the the highest level of this game that you know you knew what you should do, but you know it's your living. You've got to get out there. That you would you'd think you know I'm I'm going to deny this or I'm going to take um, painkillers or whatever else. I've need to carry on doing this. And I did take painkillers and I did ignore uh, signs that, let's say, stereotypically, mum would say, are you sure you want to play on? And I'd say yes. Mm. And, and you want to earn the respect of the forward pack as a fullback. Mm-hmm. You earn the respect of your mates by being a warrior and, and taking the pain. And sore knees and hips and et cetera, we expected. But we didn't know anything about this early onset dementia. And it's, it's it, looking back now, I was very naive. You know, we've all heard of punch drunk mm. fighters who've, been been too many rounds too often but there are laws in boxing aren't there they only box every 90 days that sort of thing but i'd be taking 90 minutes in training two or three times a week and then playing a game on a saturday and a sunday Mm -hmm. so it's really important that we don't expose certainly young brains and female brains and all brains to too much too young and that's that's the crusade i've joined with uh, with the likes of progressive rugby bill um i Agree. We need to look at all ways of trying to uh, to reduce impacts and protect people. I mean, we know that probably the injuries that cause most internal damage to the brain are the rotational ones, which it is very difficult by uh, using what has been used historically as um, as scrum caps. <clears throat> but um, we've got to do everything we can mm. to uh, to reduce the number of impacts. And I, I think as Tim was saying, you know, part of the battle that we've had is to is both to win hearts and minds over whether there's an association or causation mm. uh, between repeated head impacts and um, and long term damage, but also to raise awareness um, and to change attitudes and education. And I think if if you go back, Mark, you know, if you if you go back three years, mm. I I think there's been a sea change mm. in the way the media are tackling this, the amount of books coming out. So I, I don't think anybody can say now who's involved with the sport or indeed other impact sports um, that, they, that they're not increasingly well, aware of no, the issues. Well, Bill, you're staying with us. Tim, just one final thing on this. We've got the Six Nations starting very shortly, of course. Um, it's on 
um, free-to-air television on both ITV and BBC. But how worried are you that at times here we will see an incident that isn't dealt with properly uh, through the television coverage that we've patently seen since certain protocols have come in? We have to be an example on the telly, don't we? And how we behave and how we play. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of the competitive spirit and the physicality of, of modern rugby players. They're phenomenal. They deserve um, our support. But it's important that we protect them because as an athlete, you'll always deny your own health and, and put, you, put your body on the line for your teammates. So it's important for those players that they're given the right rest periods. And it's important that the, the example is set, in my opinion, so that kids playing on a Sunday morning, I've just been coaching up in Leicestershire, if they get a bang to the head, they should know as a culture change not to play on and be a hero, but get off the field and get themselves well for, for three weeks' time. Brilliant stuff, Tim. You've taken every high ball without having to kick anything into touch. Fantastic. A perfect title for the whole show would be Head for Change. Uh, Professor Bill Ribbons is still with us, and so is the man that leads that charity, a man who played... 14 years of top-class international and professional rugby, starting off at Newport and playing 30-odd times for his country, Wales. Newport leads for Nathalie and Bereave. And one of the most shuddering uh, aspects of all of this is not how many points, actually, Alex, uh, you scored as a flanker or number eight, but how many sub-concussions you had during that long career of over a hundred thousand. Very good evening to you and thank you for joining us and Head for Change I know is something that we also want to hear about very much tonight but but thank you for being with us. Oh, Good evening Mark and thank you for, for having me here. Um, before my diagnosis and what I've learned over the last four four years I didn't know what a subconcussive hit was um, and it's for, for me now the most important part of all this is for educating the current players and the future generations. And that's a, a big pillar in what Head for Change wants to do. What was it that first came to your notice then after you'd retired? And uh, then when, when we get to um, 20, around 2020 that you, you get diagnosed, what, what was it that you were feeling was causing you problem then, which, which well, led it was, to this? It, it was most probably early 2019 my wife was trying to get me to go to the doctor she thought i had a, a brain tumor or something wasn't right i was uh, losing conversations that we had an hour later i had no recollection um i was struggling to take in information from an email or a book um and in the end i was getting mel to to read the emails and then reply um but i was putting it down to everyday stress kids work things like that and it was september 2019 that i went on a bike ride that i've done many times from my house and i had a blackout moment lost where i was phone mail upset and decided to cycle home the way that i come um and got home and and went to uh or called the gp the following morning and got straight in um to see what was what was wrong i had nine months then of uh, thorough testing uh, and then in april 2020 had the diagnosis over zoom because of covid mm -hmm. and of course the other 
thing with this is that we talk about uh, what you have now and uh, the early onset, but what it could lead to as well. Yeah, um, I try not to think about that um, and try and uh, be as positive as I can in this situation. And that was a choice we had after the diagnosis, sat and on the couch, turn left and do nothing and feel sorry for ourselves or turn right and uh, try and make a difference, learn on the on the go because there was no information out there for a 40-year-old. And that's what we've done. Uh, seven months later, when we went public, myself, Steve Thompson and Michael Lippman, mm. I think there was nine in total who were diagnosed, diagnosed. Now there's over 350. We're supporting those players uh, with information of what can help. Um, but a big part now is about what we can change in the game to make it safer uh, and for mums and dads to want to send their kids mm. to rugby. We all still love uh, rugby. We want it to uh, survive and continue because it's an amazing game. But there's quite a few changes that need to happen, the majority off the pitch mm-hmm. uh, during the week uh, to look after these players um, going forward. Uh, Bill, to bring you in here on on the story uh, of uh, we're hearing about here as well now is that, you know, we all know that professional sportsmen and not just professional, we've talked about it already here and those as uh, teenagers really knowing they've got a skill for a particular game and they want to be out there the whole time. Is 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 there now enough information getting through to the next generation? Do you feel, or, or is there a a way that it will always be difficult to police? Um, it will be difficult to police because most of rugby is not played uh, in front of the television cameras. It's played on parks and in schools. Um, I spoke in when Tim was with us about the need for education. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that World Rugby, the RFU, the WRU have tried to put together education packages. This needs to continue. Um, it's not only the players, it's the coaches, it's the parents, it's the schools. They all need to be involved with this education process and that needs to be repeated. Uh, and, th- and that's been picked up by the uh, House of Commons DCMS report in 2021 this need for education and and i'd go further mark and say that it's my own profession that need to be educated as well um uh, we know the nhs has a problem uh, at the moment with appointments uh, and many general practitioners may not have first-hand experience of looking after sports injuries and concussions and when faced with a problem like this they seem to go one of two ways either just stop playing rugby or no, just don't worry, just just get on with this. And it's it's very important that um, education packages are put forward to doctors on the front line, the GPs, casualty officers, to know about how to advise and and signpost people in the right direction. Mm. Um, Alex, I don't want to uh, to sort of take you back to the bad times in in one way, but I I sort of do in another. Really, when you were playing, did you know then that you'd been concussed on occasions and hit, but knew that because this was your living that you had to hide that a bit? Well, my memory of my rugby career isn't great. Uh, There's games, big games from meeting Nelson Mandela, um, playing for Wales against South Africa, uh, 
getting KO'd in the game, swallowing my tongue, having a fit and waking up in hospital. So there's a lot of my career I don't remember. Um, but things around concussion, it was a, it was it was taken as a as a as a joke. Whenever there was a KO or somebody had Bambi legs in analysis, they would rewind that back and play it, and all the boys would be laughing. It was never taken seriously. Um, the 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 medical side of training that it was like the Wild West where there were no referees, cheap shots were coming in from from everywhere. If you were dazed, you would just go to the side cold sponge on your face some sniffing salts and expected just to carry on and put back out there so the only one thing i think i can remember is you were asked do you feel sick and if you didn't feel sick you would just put back on the field and you would carry on as normal um so not really there wasn't um the the knowledge to the players which was around at the time that wasn't passed on to us as players um, in the next part of the programme, David Walsh is joining us, who, who, who wrote a, a, a haunting article in many ways, but a brilliant article as well in the Sunday Times. And uh, Bill will talk more about that. But with Alex here at the moment, Alex, I'd like you to talk about Head for Change and, and the charity yeah. that you're involved with and, and, and how you're reaching out to all sorts of different people involved. Well... It was, it was, how the change was born after my diagnosis. We had a week before we spoke to the neurologist again with questions. And as you do, you Google what is this C, uh, probable CTE, early onset dementia. And there was no real support advice for a 40 year old. So we started this charity uh, with uh, Dr. Judith Gates and Sally Tucker, who um, are trustees with Mel, my wife. And we there's three key areas so there's care and support uh, for the players and their family education and independent research that we want to be they're the three key pillars that we put all our time and an effort into i'm supporting uh, most probably around 50 60 players um on a regular basis keep them keep talking to them and 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 trying to advise as best i can with getting them active eating well um mm and just having a, a try to have a positive mindset. Um, we've done quite a lot of charity uh, events. So last year was a very busy year for me. We, um, um, I trained to do a, an Ironman. Uh, I cycled from London to Lyon, arriving in Lyon for the Wales-Australia game with uh, quite a few ex-players. Garrett Thomas took part in that. And we also then swam the English Channel as a relay and that was a race rugby league against rugby union uh, in October, which Sky made a uh, a documentary. Um, but just trying to support as as best we can uh, with the limited funds that we uh, we've got. I've got another challenge next week. We're cycling from Cardiff to Twickenham, head for Twickenham. Uh, another fifty cyclists taking part in that. So just getting the awareness mm -hmm. out there and trying to raise funds to be able to support as many as we can. You're 40 now. Do you, I think that during 44, your, 44. 44 now, um, yeah. just looking at your career and uh, the, the benefit of the actual rugby player, the strengthening condition, the, the build, the different, you know, the, the giants that the whole game are, whether they're scrum halves or whatever. You were through yeah. that era where the hits were like a car crash. Well, they were and they were happening over and over again. Uh, 
but not just the games. We would have two or three contact sessions during the week that would last an hour and a half, two hours. And it was who was standing on a on a Thursday would play on the Saturday. Um, yeah, and the seasons were 10 months long as well. So you weren't getting a, a real break. And that's one with progressive rugby, the pressure we want to put on world rugby is off the, off the pitch. It's about the length of the season. It's about the number of games when there is a, and again, the word concussion I don't like using, let's call it what it is, it's a traumatic brain injury. When there is a traumatic brain injury, they're not rushed back in seven days. They're given 28 days to recover. I think all those things put together would make the game a lot safer. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important with this, Bill, as well, isn't it? We can talk about uh, the amateur side of things, which is as important. But for professional um, rugby footballers uh, of both codes and uh, both sexes, is that there has to all of this be built in so that they, they, they don't feel when they know they're not right, that they have to play to get the bonuses or whatever else. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's about changing the culture. And I think what's come over strongly from what Alex has said and Tim was saying uh, before the break is that uh, don't don't necessarily ask the players. You've got to educate the players, let them know, um, you know, what the, what the symptoms are, what the risks are, um, change that attitude within the changing room that... Uh, Alex described from from years ago, um, and make it acceptable for them to to uh, to own up and say, "I just don't feel right," and then to be able to put put around them a very supportive package. So this is very much part of what Alex is trying to do: care, support, mm-hmm. um, the education side. So th- th- those are two pillars. And if I could just add his third pillar, which is independent research, and mm-hmm. we're absolutely de- delighted that. Uh, world rugby is putting funds into this but we all feel strongly that um that world rugby and other affiliated uh, unions should be at arm's length from any research they can't be involved in the conduct of the research and the analysis of the data please continue to support the research but make it independent as mm. alex uh, is trying to with with head for change mm. that is uh, so important bill alex um, some final thoughts for you here it is something that i'm sure we will well i know we will revisit on the sunday nightclub we're not shirking from any of this type of stories and they're and they're very important to get out there uh, and, and we'll look again as i was saying to tim you know when you sit down and perhaps watch the six nations coming up and you uh, and everything that's going on we have to see protocol used at its very best on our television screens And I think what we see the professionals doing is going to filter down to grassroots. So if they see somebody who's walking uh, with bambi legs and is showing clear signs that they've had a traumatic brain injury, go off for a test and then come back on, something isn't right. Um, So it is the protocols are in the professional game, but if they see their heroes having that done to them, they're going to emulate it when they're playing and think it's okay to to return to the pitch. Uh, other questions we've got. Uh, one thing I'd like to uh, find out your thoughts here is, you know, the, getting to the heart of the problem as a professional player is that professional players, it is their living, isn't it? It, it is difficult 
to particularly perhaps some of those that have never known anything else as to what to do yeah and 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 that's as bill said it needs to be taken out of the players hands they need to be told like when they pull a hamstring like when they have a shoulder reconstruction you're not going to play for an extended moment of time just because you can't see that injury doesn't mean it's it's hasn't happened um unfortunately i spoke to to parents who've lost children who've been put back on the pitch uh ian tucker in 1996 died playing for oxford university against uh saracens uh in a game so these fatal um deaths happen as a result of taking having a traumatic brain injury this is serious stuff that is is going on here and we need to change as soon as possible Alex, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Head for Change is very important. We'll look out for it and keep it. And uh, this very much off the back as well of a, a brilliant piece of writing by the chief sports writer for the Sunday Times, David Walsh, uh, a few weeks ago on exactly this and uh, the uncovering of how many players are actually suffering and where they're going legally and everything else with that. And of course, on the eve of the Six Nations, um, Stephen Jones, the voice of rugby as well uh, in the uh, Sunday Times, has written a piece on how others like Dupont and Farrell are now going to be missing from the international games for mental health issues and tiredness and other things as well that the game really has to be policed by the writers by the professors like Bill and many of the former players who are now beginning to do so much but yet again David very good evening Bill is still with us of course as well um, David coming to you now listening there to both Tim Stimson and to uh, Alex Pop Popham and finding out you know it we don't want it to be too late for the next generation too do we david no um rugby is definitely facing a you know a very difficult situation with uh, head knocks brain injuries and one of the things is that there is a legal action kind of you know happening as we speak and and in a way that's understandable that players should be seeking you know, compensation for injuries they believe were caused by uh, the rugby, um, you know, authorities that didn't do enough to protect them. But one of the downsides of that is that it's kind of stifled debate and discussion. And you've got people in authority who quite legitimately say, well, it's it's really difficult for us to say anything while the the lawsuit is happening sure. and and we hear that all the time because anything you say you know may be used in evidence against you at a future point so so the the the, the lawyerly advice will always be not to say a thing and in a way this problem is very real and it's happening as we're as we're speaking you know last week next week wherever there are rugby matches there will be head knocks and and brain injury but the discussion about it is not nearly as forthright or as wide ranging as it should be, in part because of the legal action. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, uh, Prof Bill, isn't it? With all of these things at the moment, everybody has to take a slightly tread wary course with this. But we can continue to talk about facts that, that you know and things that are happening. And to 
to make people understand whether it's schools now introducing tag rugby as well as uh, the real thing. There are parents for the first time. I know that my school, which was a big rugby school, and others in the eastern area where, where for the first time parents have, uh, are saying to headmasters, I, I don't want my children playing rugby uh, with any uh, contact uh, in that sport, even though a lot of them still support the game so much. No, I, I agree entirely with what uh, David and, and you have said. Um, I, I've always maintained that it's not uh, lobbying groups like Progressive Rugby, and of course there are many others across many sports who are going to decide the fate of rugby or other sports. Um, that fate will be decided by schools, by parents, young players, and possibly insurance companies as well. And I agree with David. Um, obviously, I, I don't know what advice World Rugby, RFU and WRU are getting, but I imagine, as David alluded to, that they're being told not to, not to say too much, not to change anything, because if you're seen to change things, then that may, may be an admission that you knew things were not right. And in, in a way, that's why I was surprised and obviously very heartened by the announcements uh, by the RFU last summer that they were going to lower the tackle area mm. because um, I thought that was obviously so something we've been campaigning. So this is going for. to waste level, isn't it? Yeah, is it? Um, yeah. It's, it, it's going to be kind of below the, the sternum level. Okay. I mean, the, 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 the French introduced it at lower levels. Uh, they went lower than that. They, all, they also got rid of double teaming, you know, when two people come in to tackle. Um, that's something else that I would also like to see trialled and not looked at. I think it's interesting because um, I was expecting um, there to be a lot more coverage of how junior rugby was coping with this. Um, but of course, they started in the middle of the Rugby World Cup. I thought at the end of the Rugby World Cup, there may be greater coverage of how junior clubs uh, were coping. But having been down to my junior club and watch games, um, they seem to be coping very well. I think the players have adapted quickly. Uh, the referees are being sensible about it. And I think it's only a matter of time, Mark, because once once you've got this cohort of youngsters coming through um, beyond 18 and some of them, a few of them going on to play the elite <clears throat> game, they'll be used to um, this lower tackling height. So I think it's only a matter of time before the elite game has to uh, at least make that change. I, I mean, David, as well on all of this, I remember, you know, I was not a great rugby player, but I on one occasion I had to play for the the first 15 as a scrum half, and I was up against Gresham's school, who, were, like, were the best in the country, and Nick Young's was the other scrum half, and I he picked the ball out of all sides of the ruck and uh, the scrum. But what I also found is, even for me at uh, uh, in that one game that I was in no way ready for a couple of knocks that I got because I wasn't good enough to be playing at that level. And, and I just wonder if that has really been learned properly yet. Oh, goodness knows what's going on. I mean, Bill is right, though, to point out that there really hasn't been enough, you know, assessment of how the new tackle laws um, are working out at, at, yeah, community level rugby and what I've watched um, recently is you know even at the elite level where we don't have that new law you do have teams that are trying to 
to to to get their players tackling lower because if you stop a man you know if you can wrap your arms around his knees or lower um you're going to stop him in his tracks literally because mm. it's obvious you can't move without your legs and we see a lot more lower down tackling um but and, and even though that comes with risks because players are putting their heads quite near an, an opponent's knees and you know knees onto head is obviously not good but in a general sense mm. it's a safer way to tackle and we need to see more of it um i think it's going to be extremely difficult for rugby because size does matter i i listened the other day to um to um rugby writers who really are in the know speaking about uh, about a certain player and whether he would be attractive to french rugby and even though this player is a really good international elite level player the word was he wouldn't be that attractive because although he was a great player he didn't have that extra size that the french are looking for and the top 14 is probably the best certainly commercially is the most successful league you know club league in the world and if they're putting the onus on basically having a game for man mountains hmm. i think we're all in a little bit of trouble and uh, i remember writing a column in the sunday times about i'd say now it's about 10 years ago where i said if i were the dictator of rugby which obviously i'm not and never will be but if i had the authority to make a change i would put maximum i w- i would impose an artificial maximum weight in every position mm-hmm. and if you were too big you were going to not be able to play the game now people will say that victimizes people who are naturally very big and it penalizes them for being big well rugby now penalizes huge amount of people for being small mm. because the idea that rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes is simply not true at elite level anymore you've got to have certain size but but if we go for bigger and bigger and bigger we're making the solution that we're all seeking to the dangers that come with rugby more difficult to so, attain now. um david you're going to stay with us and uh we're going to talk more about the Six Nations uh, coming up. Just a final thought from you as to where we are at the moment, Bill. Uh, but a final thought from you here on this and uh, how important things like the Six Nations are to reinforce what the likes of you and your lobbyists on progressive rugby are actually telling people. Uh, we're, ma- we're making progress. We're not making progress. The game is making progress. Uh, I think even in the last two to three years in the Six Nations, we're not seeing uh, forwards going in like Exocet missiles um, kind of horizontally um, and taking uh, opposition players out. Um, The game, I think, is being refereed better. The problem is, Mark, I don't know whether we've bottomed out yet in terms of players coming forward. I suspect uh, we have not. Uh, And we've got to put uh, ever more emphasis on protecting youth rugby women and men that's it for this episode of back of the stand and thank you to all my guests and most importantly to you hope we've given you something to speak about please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so from me mark saggers we'll take that step up to the back of the stand next time goodbye <laughs>